we are continuing our study in the book of James, and uh, it's funny because people said, you're going, to, you're going to beat up on us again tonight. I said, listen, I'm not doing that. It's James. James is a bully. Uh, he says the hard things, gets all up in your face, says things that you don't like to hear, and I told somebody uh, Sunday, they were talking about the message from last Wednesday about never, ever, ever speak evil about another believer in Christ. I said, boy, that made me feel guilty. And I said, listen, for every finger pointing at you, there's three more pointing back at me. So it ha- I have to live through it before I ever bring it up on here. Uh, and, and so listen, James has been beating up on me too. Uh, but we're in James chapter 4, finishing up chapter 4, starting in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from verses 13 on to the end of James chapter 4. He says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy, and sell, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor, that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for a night where we get to come together, study your word. Lord, get encouraged. Lord, get challenged. And Lord, I pray for this awesome church family. Pray for the Fairview campus, Lord, that uh, we just come together to learn more, to apply it to our lives, to take it out to a lost and dying world and live it in front of them. And Lord, I pray for uh, just your touch on me tonight. Lord, I'm nothing but a vessel for you to pour into. So, God, I pray that I just step out the way that you take center stage. It's all about you, Father. And, Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, I, I read a study recently about decisions. About decisions. I, I've actually shared some of this information before, but we all have choices that we make every single day. Every day we make choices. And this is what the study showed. It said the average person makes an eye-popping 35,000 choices per day. Assuming most people spend around seven hours per day sleeping and thus blissfully choice-free, that makes roughly 2,000 decisions per hour or one decision every two seconds. Y'all didn't know y'all made that many decisions, did you? All those decisions and women still can't pick where to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like all that choice. I mean... I don't know. Shots fired. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> preacher's back in the house. You hear him over there. He's, he's, he's surrounded by his bodyguards over there. Um, but here is the reality of that statement. Even if you say, we don't, I, I don't make that many decisions a day, I think, I think we can come to the conclusion that our day is still filled with decisions. Now, most of those decisions are very insignificant, very small, like, where do I want to eat today? What clothes do I want to wear today? Um, you know, do I want to park here or I want to park there? Those decisions like that are very insignificant, very small, don't really matter. But there are some decisions that we have to make that are very important. Decisions like, do I take this job? Do I really want to relocate my family? Do, 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 I, do I give this person forgiveness? Like there, there's some very serious decisions we do have to make. And, and I, wrote, I read a quote from John Maxwell, the big leadership guru, and this is what he said. He says, life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. In other words, you and I are the sum of all the choices that we have made in our life. Where you are today in your stage of life is a result of all the decisions you have made along the years. Now, how many of y'all have made a decision that you regret? Anybody in here or am I alone? Okay, so we're equal in here. We've made some bad choices. And, and what I'm going to be addressing tonight is not really dealing with the insignificant decisions. James is helping us kind of digest and dissect what, it, what we should do in making the big decisions in life. So, you know, whether you like your coffee black or with cream and sugar, that's not a big deal. Uh, listen, if you, you might be coming to a decision. Do I wash my hair tonight or do I use the dry shampoo for the third day in a row? For my ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Those decisions like that, I'm not addressing that. I'm talking about the important ones. How do you handle those kind of decisions in your life? I, 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 I think some of us could, uh, could agree 
I'm going to give you some examples of how some of us make big decisions in our life. I think you could probably find one of these ways that you've done it yourself. Sometimes people make a pros and cons list. You know, you get a piece of paper. You divide it down the middle. Pros over here, cons over here. And if the pros outweigh the cons, that's the decision I'm going to make. Or maybe you do an opinion poll. Here's the decision I have in front of me. I'm going to go talk to my family and my friends. I'm going to consult with them. And whatever the majority of the people say, that's the decision I'm going to make. And so that's the that's way some people make decisions. Or they say, whatever makes me happy. Whatever decision is going to make me the happiest in my life, that's the decision I'm going to make. Maybe, maybe they're based on what feels right. Why did you make that decision? It just felt like the right one. And they go through life just feeling their way, just doing whatever feels right. And that's how they make the majority of their decisions. Or, as Christians, we like to use the open door philosophy. The open door philosophy, which is, why did you make that decision? I just felt like it was just an open door. We try to make it spiritual. It was an open door. Never once did they, th- they stop and consider who opened the door. Yeah. Yeah. It was an open door, so I just walked through it, you know. And so sometimes Christians, we try to spiritualize it and make it the open door. Or maybe they use logic. This is the one that made the most sense to me. I fought through it, and this decision just made the most kind of sense. And if none of that works, we result to the flip a coin. Heads Carolina, tails California. Heads yes, tails no. And we flip a coin and whatever... And, and, and here's the thing. Remember last week I talked about acceptable sins. I don't know if you remember that. And I, I gave you the definition of acceptable. And if you, just to refresh you, I don't know if they have it or not, but this is, this is what the definition of acceptable is. Considered by most people to be reasonable or to be something that can be allowed. Considered by most people to be reasonable or to be something that can be allowed. And, and, and I think I'm afraid that most Christians have found that making a decision based on the methods I just used, has, they've convinced themselves that this is an acceptable way to make a decision in life. It's reasonable. It's, it's you know, flipping a coin, making a pros or cons list, talking to my friends and family. This is acceptable. But here's the question I really want to ask tonight. Does it really matter to God when it comes to decisions in your life? Does it really matter to God on how you make decisions in your life? I mean, if I really pray about it after I make that decision, if I really pray about it, does it really matter to Him? Because really, isn't that what we do as Christians? We make a decision, and then we ask God to bless it. And we're guilty of that, ain't we? And and so I I, I do my my method, I break my pros or cons list, I talk to my family and friends, I make my decision, and then I bring my decision box to the Lord, and I say, now God, would you please bless my decision? And so what James is going to tell us is there's a method on how we should make our decisions. And so in James chapter 4, we just read it, I'm going to read it again, verse 13 through 16. He says, go to now. Now, in the Greek, it's, it's more like come now. In other words, picture this. James grabbing you by the face like this, bringing you in close, eyeball to eyeball. And he's telling you this. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Just listen up. You got it? You zoned it? Okay, listen up. What I'm about to tell you is important. You need to listen. He says, ye that say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. The word evil here means morally wrong. Morally wrong. The idea is when we live in a way that we disregard uh, uh, God's influence in the decisions that we make, he says it's evil in action. This word evil is actually the name that was given to Satan at least three times in the New Testament where they call him the evil one. 
And so what James is saying here is, is he's not just saying that when you make a decision outside from the wisdom and knowledge of God, it's just not a smart way of doing life. What he's saying is when you make a decision based on your own motivations without consulting God, doing your things your own way, he says you are more in line with Satan than you are in with Jesus. Think about that. He says when you do this, this is evil. This is more in line with who Satan is than who Jesus is. And so I think God has something to say about how we make decisions in our life. I said last week that James is addressing some acceptable sins. Last week we talked about how James said never, ever, ever, ever speak evil about another brother or sister in Christ. Remember? And, and sometimes we, we, we kind of cover it up and we accept it. Because we've been doing it for so long. It's just the way we do life. And, and it's not that big of a deal. And James is calling it out and says, we should never, ever, ever do this. I think this is another one of those acceptable sins. Where we just go about life making decisions however we want to make it. Never consulting God. Never going to Him for His wisdom. Doing things our own way. And James says, don't ever do that. And here's the, here's the acceptable sin I believe we are practicing and doing. It's the sin of presumption. The sin of presumption. In your handout, I think we'll have it on the screen here. This is the definition of the sin of presumption. It's making life choices apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. Making life choices apart from the seeking and submitting to the will of God. When you and I make our decisions as if God does not exist, that's a problem. It's a problem. The people in this text that James is talking about, he says they're making plans. They're saying, we're going to go into this city. We're going to stay there a year. We're going to buy and sell. We are going to make a profit. And he's talking about believers here who have this cavalier attitude about life and and what they're going to be doing with their life without seeking God's wisdom and guidance for their choices. The people are presuming upon the when. Well, I'm going to go today or tomorrow. They're presuming upon the where. We're going to go into such a city. They're presuming upon the what. We're going, to, we're going to buy and sell. They're presuming on the why. So we can gain and get a profit. And so they're presuming all these things. They were making life decisions as if God didn't exist. And that somehow they, that God was still obligated to bless, provide, protect, and supply their decision along the way. And, and, and the cart before the horse. Can I just be transparent? A lot of my counseling that I've done, specifically with individuals, a lot of it has to do with decisions they made without consulting God and now them living in the consequences of that decision. And they come to me broken. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone and say, you know, I didn't really seek God before making this decision and now I'm in this predicament. What do I do now? I'm like, brother, (laughs) repent. I don't know. I mean, and this is what James is addressing. When you make decisions about your finances, your relationships, your future, about your job, your home, your health, and you don't seek and submit to the will of God, you're living in a way that is contrary to Jesus himself. Remember, James's whole theme here throughout from chapter 1 to chapter 5, he's talking about what real faith looks like. And we talked about it before. Real faith is Jesus in you, living through you. Remember, he's so big, he should be poking out somewhere. And so that's the idea. He's in me, living through me. Uh, Earlier this year, I was in a wreck. Not a bad one. Uh, Just a lady pulled out in front of me, and I T-boned her. And it was her fault. But when I hit her, I hit her in Tracy's car. And airbags went off. And so they totaled the car. They just said, okay, we're going to total it. And we're going to pay it off. And we gave, gave, gave us like a small little nugget of money back to go put down on another car. And so now we're having to look around for a new vehicle. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, have you priced a car recently? It's ridiculous. And so we're on Facebook Marketplace. We're on Car Gurus. We're everywhere. I mean, we're looking at all the, the dealerships around town. I'm like, they want $80,000 for a, a 1972 Pinto. I don't know how... In the world, and people are buying them. I don't even know. And so we're, we're really trying hard. But I'm telling you, I, pr- I promise you, hand on the Bible, every time before we pulled out the driveway at the house, me and Tracy would park the car, 
and we'd pray. We'd say, God, we're about to go look for a vehicle. So just help us with discernment, know which one's the right one and which one's the wrong one. Open a door or close a door. Whatever it is, we're just going to trust you. And there was one day, I kid you not, we drove for hours. We went to Helena, uh, Helena, Alabama. Wasn't it first stop? Helena, Alabama, to go look at a car. And we get there, and we step out. We called the day of, and they said, yeah, come on in. We step out, go to the salesperson, and said, we just sold it. I'm like, what do you mean? We drove two hours. What do you mean you just sold it? And I was hot. I was angry. I'll be honest. I was angry. And I get back in the car. I'm like, I can't believe I sold that car. And Tracy's like, you know, we prayed about this, right? And I was like, you're right. You're right. So then I had, to, I had to turn my pity into praise. Thank you, Lord. You closed that door. That wasn't the right one for us. And then we drove up to Tennessee, multiple places in Tennessee. I think we got home about 8, 30, 9 o'clock that night. We test drove two cars the entire day, came back with nothing. And then I was frustrated. I'm like, we just wasted a whole day looking at cars. But we had prayed about, God, give us discernment. Give us wisdom. We want to know what your plan is. We open the door, close the door, whatever that is. And eventually, about a week later, we saw a car posted way below market price, way in our budget. It had less miles than anything we've looked at. It was newer than anything we looked at. I'm like, this can't be right. We called the guy. He says, yeah, it's on the market or, or in my lot right now. So we're coming tomorrow, and we end up buying this car. It was better than anything we've looked at with a better price. What am I trying to say? God saw something I didn't, yeah. and we sought him. But here it is. If we're making decisions apart from the wisdom and insight and governance of God, then we're living contrary to Jesus. And if we're supposed to be people who have Jesus in us, poking out of us, then we have to look at his example. Who is he? What did he how did he do his life? Well, let me give you some scripture. John chapter 4, verse 34. It says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Listen, if Jesus said, I can't do things my own way, I submit to the Father, how much more do you think you and I should submit to the Father and not do things our own way? John chapter 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Making significant choices in life, significant decisions in your life, apart from the wisdom and will of God, is the very opposite of Christ-likeness. Because Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father, and if so, we're supposed to be image bearers of Christ, him living in in us, poking out of us, then the way that we should handle decisions in our life is, first of all, by submitting to the will and the guidance of the Father. And listen, I've seen many Christians, and I've I've been guilty of this too, where I say, you know, this really isn't a spiritual decision. This is more of a financial decision, or this is a family decision, and I don't include the wisdom of God in that decision. And I'm telling you, that's a dangerous way to play your life. So let me give you some reasons on why. Here's the question, first question we're going to talk about tonight. Why is presumption on God so dangerous? Why is presumption on God so dangerous? Number one, I'm going to give you four reasons. Number one, our perspective is limited. Our perspective is limited. When you make a decision apart from the wisdom of God, we need to understand that our perspective is limited. We don't see as far as he sees. John, uh, James chapter 4, verse 14, the first part of that verse. He says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You know what he's saying? Life is uncertain. How many of you know life is uncertain? If you don't believe life is uncertain, keep on living. You'll find out. There's things that happen today that you didn't know was going to happen today. There's going to be things tomorrow happening that you had no clue about. There's things happening this week that is nowhere on your radar. And since life is so uncertain and you may choose to make a decision that could change your life and the life of those around you, wouldn't it be smart to go to somebody who knows what your life looks like from beginning to end? And so here's the thing. You and I, we don't know what we don't know. Let me say that again because y'all might simmer on that for a second. We don't know what we don't know. There's some things out of our knowledge. 
Years ago, I served in a church as an associate pastor. I was down in South Florida, um, like around Daytona Beach area. For about two and a half years, I served at this church. And uh, it wasn't a very large church, probably about 150 people, which, I mean, it's fairly large considering the average church, but about 150 people. And they had a, 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 a classical academy. It went from kindergarten through eighth grade, and they had a preschool, and it was all ran by the church. And uh, they had several church employees as well. But what happened is for nine years, they didn't pay any taxes. And the IRS came for nine years of back taxes, a little over a million dollars. And our little church was not financially able to provide that much money. And so the pastor came to me. He says, Andrew, here's the thing. You probably want to get out in front of this thing. It's going to be ugly. We had just bought a house a few months before then. You know, we're like, we're settled in. And uh, so I put my house on the market. It sat there for about three weeks. The pastor came back to me. He says, hey, Andrew, actually, we might be okay. You, you can stay if you want to, but we might be okay. Now I'm conflicted. First he says, leave. Now he's saying, stay. Now here's the thing. The easy thing for me to do would have been to stay. I mean, I have a house. I had a job. It would have been convenient. I hate moving. I wouldn't have to pack a U-Haul. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to, we could just stay. It would have been easy. But I prayed about it. Me and Tracy prayed about it. And, and I'm, I'm all, sometimes I just lay a fleece out before God and say, God, if this is your will, do this. Make it obvious. And so I said, okay, God, I don't know what to do right now, so I need you to make it obvious. Sell my house in two days. If it doesn't sell in two days, I'm staying. If it sells in two days, I'm leaving. Well, on the second day, it was on the market after that prayer. A couple came and looked at our house who had looked at it a couple weeks before, and they gave us a full price offer. So we decided to leave. And we moved on a Saturday, and that very next day, that Sunday, the church had a meeting. They closed down the preschool, they closed down the school, and they laid off all the church employees except for the pastor. You know what would have happened if I would have stayed? If I would have done what I felt like I should have, my heart said stay, my feelings said stay, because it would have been easy. But God said leave. Why, why is that so important? Because my perspective is limited. God saw something on the horizon that I couldn't see. His perspective is unlimited. He saw something that would have put me in a bad place. And so he said, get out of here. And so that's why we need to understand one of the reasons why it's dangerous to presume upon God is because our perspective is limited. Let me, let me share with you some scripture from Job chapter 28. In Job chapter 28, verse 24, he says, For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heavens. That's the viewpoint of God right there. He looketh to the ends of the earth. And he seeth under the whole heavens. There is nothing that escapes the power and the wisdom and the control of God. That is his perspective. He sees all things. And so if he sees all things and he knows all things and he doesn't have a limited perspective, doesn't it make sense to get him in on the front end of the decision? Instead of making a decision and then going to him at the end and say, okay, now bless it. Wouldn't it make more sense to go to him first and say, God, I'm in a conflict right now. I don't know what to do. I have two roads ahead of me. Please help me make a decision. Shouldn't we ask him on the front end? So here's the second reason why it's dangerous to presume upon God. Our flesh is deceitful. Our flesh is deceitful. Look in verse 13. He says, Go to you now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year. And buy and sell and get gain. These people were making their decisions based on material and financial gain. Their decisions were motivated by more. By more. How many, deci- how many decisions have we made pursuing more? Is it wrong to want more? No. And if it's God's will for you to have more, then praise the Lord. He'll give you some more. But sometimes we make some bad decisions pursuing more. And here's what more is. More is a cup with a hole in it. And it just seems to just keep on leaking out. That's why the more you get, the more you want. Because it never fills it and never satisfies. And so no matter what level you get to, your flesh will always say, I just need a little bit more. And here's what, I, uh, here's what we need to know about the flesh. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what Jeremiah is saying? Your heart will lie to you. It will lie to you. It will tell you untrue things. This is what it means. The motivation of your heart is, I want to do what makes me happy. I think this will make me happy. Yet happiness and more and satisfaction in this world is a cup with a hole in it, and it won't last, it won't satisfy. When the motivation of your decision is, this just feels right, it will often lead to regret. And regret can be avoided simply by submitting to the will of God at the very beginning. Every decision that I look back on with regret, and you could probably say the same thing, every decision you look back on with regret, here's what happened. I got out in front of God. I stepped out in front of Him first. And then I expected God's blessing, favor, provision, and supply to follow, even though I stepped in front of him. And every decision I look back on regret, I see that. And I've done it in ministry. I've planned events. I've planned some some jam-up events and never once asked God his opinion on it. I do all the work, do all the effort, all the promotion, and at the end of it, I say, "Okay, okay, God, now bless it. And God had to humble me a few times. He had to teach me a lesson. All right, number three. Another reason why it's dangerous to presume upon God. Our time is short. Our time is short. Verse 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Think about this. I'm sure y'all have done this on a cold winter morning. Step out the front door and you go, <sighs> and you see that, that, that steam, that, that, that vapor come out for just a second. And it don't last, does it? It comes out and then it's gone. James says when you compare your life to the scope of eternity, he says it is nothing but a vapor. It just appears and then it disappears. And we make the mistake of making plans in our life as if our time is unlimited. As if we got all the time in the world. We make plans thinking that we'll have time to get to something else. Sometimes we'll say, I know this is what God wants me to do, but I'm going to do this first. And then I'll get back to what God wants me to do. And James is saying, that is a mistake because you don't know what's on tomorrow. Your life is a vapor. When I told my Paul. Years ago, before I went to seminary, I told my papa I was going to go into ministry. I was going to go study to be a pastor. He told me, don't do it. He says, you can't raise a family on a ministry pay. He says, so this is what you need to do. Go to college. Go to college, but study something that will benefit you, like business, administration. Get you a trade. Go get you, go get you a skill, and then you can do ministry on the side, but your primary income will be from something else. Now, I thought about it for a second. I said, that's not too bad. But here's the problem. I knew what God had called me to do. And for me to do anything other than what God had called me to do, that would have been a sin. And it would have been a presumption upon God as if I had all the time in the world to do this and that. And so I just kind of I thought about it and I said, I can't do that. This is what God called me to do. And so this is what Warren Wiersbe says about our time. It's in your handout. Warren Wiersbe says this. Since life is so brief... We cannot cannot afford merely to spend our lives, and we certainly do not want to waste our lives. We must invest our lives in those things that are eternal. Our time is limited. And so when we presume upon God and make our decisions as as if we have all the time in the world, that's dangerous. Here's number four. Here's another reason why it's dangerous to presume upon God. Our enemy is a liar. Verse 15, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. James says, if the Lord's will. And, 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 and here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will lie to you and make you believe that the Lord's will is going to rob you somehow. It's going to rob you of joy. It's going to rob you of, of your finances. It's going to rob you of happiness. It's going to rob you of, of, of pleasure. It's going to rob you of satisfaction. And, and so the enemy will convince you that somehow pursuing the will of the Lord is, 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 is not going to benefit you. Sometimes we think of the will of, the will of God like vegetables. 
I don't really like it, but I know it's good for me. Like, so that's, it's really how we, how we look at the will of God. I don't like it, but I know it's good for me. And that's what the enemy will have you convinced of, that somehow the will of God, sure, it's good for you, but you ain't going to like it. You're going to hate it. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he begins to describe the nature of Satan himself. And so in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You are of the father of the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, that Satan is a liar. All he knows how to do is lie. When his mouth is moving, he's lying. And he will convince you of things that are not true, like the will of God is not good for you. Now, let's look at what Paul says about the will of God. In, In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is what Paul says. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says the will of God is good. In the Greek, it means best. The will of God is the best thing for your life. That's what Paul says. And then he goes on, he says it is acceptable. That word means it gives pleasure and satisfaction. Paul says that the will of God is perfect. It means that it will make you full and want nothing. The will of God is the best thing for your life. It is the only thing that will satisfy you and bring you true pleasure. And it will leave you full and not wanting anything. The enemy will say that God will rob you of your joy when you pursue his will. But the Bible says it is the best thing for your life. But sometimes we doubt the will of God because somehow we have convinced ourselves that somehow we're going to miss out. And this is why it's dangerous to presume upon God, because the enemy will lie to you. So here's another question. So if it's dangerous to presume upon God, what is the alternative? What is the alternative to presuming on God? Number one, the alternative alternative to that is submitting to the will of God. The sin of presumption is making life choices apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. The alternative to this is is making life choices by, seek, by seeking and submitting to the will of God. Listen, y'all, 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 y'all look at me. Out there, fair of you, look at the screen. All right. I see you. All right. God loves you, and he has a perfect plan for your life. I, I need y'all not only to hear that, but believe it. God loves you, and he has a perfect plan for your life. It's perfect. But here's, here's the thing. God will not force his plan on you. You are not his robots. He is in a relationship with you. He's not going to force it onto you. He has a plan for your life. But he will graciously allow you to make your own decisions and to do things your own way. And if you do things your own way, then you are missing out on the best thing for your life because he has a perfect plan for you. Here's what it means to submit to the will of God. James chapter four, verse 15. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You see, the, you see the contrast here? At the beginning of, of these verses, it says, we will go into such a city. We will stay for a year. We will buy and sell. We will make a gain or a profit. And James is saying, no, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills it, we will do this. That's the difference here. James is saying, you need to get God in on this equation. And this is what it means to have a, it's basically having a heart whose posture is that of surrender. You're surrendering to the will of God, or surrendering, no matter what that might be, what it might look like, you're, you're surrendering. Remember, Jesus prayed, prayed in the garden on the eve of his crucifixion. He had this, this, this very intimate time with the Father right before his crucifixion in the garden in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. He says, not what I want, but what you want, Father. 
Are you, are you willing to say that? Are, are you willing to have a heart posture of surrender to that? The job change that you're praying about, the, the move you're thinking about, the relationship decision you are praying about, the family decision, the relocation decision. Have you reached a place in your heart where you're willing to bow the knee and say, God, not what I want. Father, what you want. What do you want? You just give a simple prayer and you say, here's what I want, God. But I want to do what you want. I, I, I know what I want may not be what I need. And I know I have an enemy that's trying to discourage me and lie to me. And I know that my time on earth is limited, so I want to make the most of it. And so, Lord, I'm just asking you right now, I want to live out for you. I want to live for you. I I don't want to do things my own way. So, God, not what I want, but what do you want for my life? Have you come to a place where you're that surrendered to him? Clyde Cranford, this is what he wrote about decisions. He says, we must realize when we are truly seeking to know the will of God, He will not reveal that will to us as an option. Some would have God lay his will out on the table, along with all the other options. But they reserve the final decision for themselves. Though they definitely want to know God's will, they will follow it only if they think it is their best option. Their major concern is their own will, not God's. Before they can know God's will, they must be willing to follow it no matter what it might be. Here's what he's saying. He says, sometimes what we do is we get all our options. And then we want God to give us his decision, his option. And we put it on the table with all the other options. And then we make a pros and cons list. And we decide, okay, which one is best for me? He says, that's the wrong way of doing it. He says, you pursue God as if he, his decision is the only decision. There are no other options. There is no plan B. There is no backup plan. You're saying, God, there is no other option. I'm, it's just you. It's just you, God. What do you want me to do? I'm surrendered. What do you want me to do? It, it, listen, if you, if you believe Jesus is Lord, raise your hand. Out there, if you believe Jesus is Lord, raise your hand. You know I'm setting you up right now, don't you? You know I'm setting you up. You know what Lord means? Lord means boss. He's boss. Means he's the one in charge. That means if you say anything other than Lord, yes, then you are wrong. It can't be Lord plus I'll think about it. It can't be Lord plus I'll pray about it. It can't be Lord plus I'll see if it makes me happy. It can't be Lord plus let me talk to my wife first. It has to be Lord, yes. I'm putting my yes on the table. If we are ever going to know the will of God and do what is best for our life and do those things that praise Him and bring Him glory, it begins with a heart that is submitted to Him and says, you know what, I have died to what I want. And so I'm in my death to myself, I'm living for you. But if you stop and consider, think about this. Because some of y'all are still wigged out about this whole, what if, what if God's will, what does it look like for my life? I'm scared about that. I don't know. If you stop and consider what you have to lay down in contrast to what you get to pick up, let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. The same posture, the same posture to let go is the same posture to receive. And so don't worry about what you got to lay down. Because I promise you what you get to pick up is so much greater. Don't you worry about what you think you're going to miss out on. God is not going to let you miss out on His plan is best for your life. And, and, and there's, a, there's a promise to submitting to His will that He will provide and protect and, and guide you and supply you along the way. I know in a room this big, I know out there at Fairview and people watching online, I know there's people in our presence today that are facing some big decisions. Some big decisions. Are you willing to have a heart that says, God, here's my request. This is what my heart wants. But I'm bowing the knee. It's not what I want. God, it's, it's what you want. So contrasting, presuming upon God, the opposite of that is submitting to his will. Number two, it also involves seeking the will of God. 
Verse 15, for you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So where submission is about the heart, seeking is about the hearing. You're you're hearing for the voice of God. You're hearing for his guidance. And so submission is about the heart. Seeking is about the hearing. The opposite of presuming upon God is depending upon God. When I make a decision apart from seeking the wisdom and the guidance of the Lord, there is, I'm presuming upon Him. I'm, I'm assuming this is what He wants for my life. I, I've heard people say this. I've heard people say this. You know what? I don't know what God wants for my life, so I'm just going to step out on faith. That's not faith. You are presuming upon God. This is what faith is. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you have not heard from God, it is not faith. And so if you don't know what God wants you to do and you're just stepping out on faith, you're presuming upon his will. You have to know exactly. You've got to hear from him. What is he telling you to do? And I've, heard, I've said this, man. I've said this for real uh, about time and time again. I don't know what he wants from my life, so I'm just going to step out on faith. That's not faith. Faith comes by hearing. And if we're going to hear from God, it implies intimacy, closeness. Think, think, think about this, Elijah. Elijah had just been there on Mount Carmel. Fire come down. It consumed the sacrifice. He sac- you know, killed the prophets of Baal. And then word gets back to the queen. And he's, he's, he's hiding because the queen's angry. She says, I'm going to do to him all the things he did to my prophets. Now he's hiding in the cave. And he sees all these miraculous things take place. He sees fire. He sees a, a, a mighty wind. He sees the earth begin to shake. And God wasn't in, in any of it. God was not a part of any of it. And then in the middle of all that, there was a still, small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? Still, small, a whisper, whisper. Have you ever whispered to somebody? Can you whisper to somebody from across the room? What do you want for dinner? If they're across the room, they're going to hear you. If you're going to whisper to somebody, what does that imply? They're close. If God had a still small voice in which he spoke to Elijah, you know what it's implying? He was close. If you want to hear from God, you know where you got to be? Close. It's intimacy. He didn't invite, God did not invite us into rules and regulations. God invited us into relationship. And relationship requires intimacy, closeness, time spent together. Whenever I have a lack of clarity in my life about a decision, you know what that is? That is an invitation to deeper intimacy with God. It's an invitation for me to get alone with Him. When I lack clarity, it's not, for, it's not up for me to go and try to figure out God's will. I'm not just going to step out on blind faith and just hope I'm making the right decision. When I lack clarity, what that is, is an invitation for me to draw near to God, to get close to Him. It's an invitation to really pursue Him and get close so I can hear Him better. Henry Blackaby said this. He says, If you do not have clear instructions from God in a matter... Pray and wait. Learn patience. Depend on God's timing. His timing is always right and best. Don't get in a hurry. He may be withholding directions to cause you to seek Him more intently. Don't try to skip over the relationship to get on with the doing. God is more interested in a love relationship with you than He is in what you can do for Him. Listen. When you don't have clarity, pause, wait, depend on him, and get close. What's the hurry? Do you really want to get in a hurry and potentially miss out on the best possible plan for your life? What if you just spend a week in the presence of God waiting for clarity? So what? It delayed you a week, but now you got clarity. Now you got perspective. Now you got closeness. Now, 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 now you know what to do next. And so don't get in a hurry about making a decision. Wait on God. If you don't know what to do, then just pause and wait. You can't microwave this kind of stuff. You got to be patient. You know pizza rolls taste better out of the oven than the microwave. And so if you want the best thing, sometimes you just got to wait a little bit longer. You know what I'm saying? Don't rush it. Pause. Wait. Get close. Now, there's no special formula, but here's some things I've learned. Here's some things I've learned when it comes to finding out. Because you may be asking, well, how do I know? How do I know I've heard from God? How do I know? 
And here, here's three things, and they're not any particular order, but I think these three things have to align. Number one, when I know I'm, I, I got clarity, when I know when God is really speaking to me and I know the decision ahead of me, I, I, I know he's confirmed it, uh, it's, usually, it's usually identified by a word from the word. A word from the word. And this is, this is, a, this is not this. this is, a word from the word is not this. Lord, I need some help. That, that's not a word from the word. What I'm talking about is you spending regular time with the Lord daily. And in your time with the Lord, you're just studying and you're spending that sweet time alone with him. And in the middle of your study, God illuminates something from his word that just touches right where you are, speaks to right to your circumstances. And God confirms it with a word from his word. And you're like, thank you, Lord. I needed that. I needed that right there. That's what I'm talking about. And then the second thing is, is circumstances and counsel. Circumstances and counsel. When, when my circumstances and the counsel I'm getting from others is in alignment with God's word, in other words, things are being confirmed by, by the situation I'm in, or things are being confirmed by the counsel I'm getting from other godly people, and it aligns with the word that I got from the word, that, that's usually another confirmation that God is in on this. Yes. And number three is peace. It's peace. Yep. If there is an absence of a red flag in your spirit. If you just have complete peace about this decision, then you know, okay, God may be on, in on this. Have you ever stepped past a red, a red flag in your spirit? Like you just felt like this wasn't the right thing, but you did it anyways? Oh, it's not good. I see a lot of pictures. Y'all been traveling. I see a lot of pictures of y'all going to Panama City and going to the beach. And I've seen a lot of pictures of these red flags on the beach and double red flags. And usually what that is saying is the water is dangerous. Do not go into the water. It will hurt you. And then you got these, these, the, 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 these crazies. They're like, you know what? I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> and they'll jump in the water and go swimming. And in no time, they're in trouble. And the and lifeguards had to come out there and had to rescue them. And it's this big old scene. Listen, red flags are there for a reason. It's telling you, do not go further. Stop here. And so if there's a lack of a red flag in your spirit where you feel like, you know what, I have peace about this. When those three things line up, a word from the word, circumstances and counsel, and a peace in your spirit, usually you can go pretty clearly and say, God is in on this. Yeah. Almost eight years ago, I got a text message from my cousin Lacey. Uh, y'all know Josh Stansel. So he's a children's pastor here. He, he's, you know, he's everywhere and everything. Uh, but his wife, Lacey, is my cousin. About eight years ago, I got a text message from her. It says, hey, we are looking for a youth pastor. Are you interested? Now, at the time, I was a bivocational youth pastor. I was serving in a church where Tracy's dad was the pastor. Uh, I was close to my family. I mean, I was real close to my family, just I mean, a few-minute drive from getting to my dad's house. And listen, I had an 18, 18-foot center console Mako offshore inshore boat, and I was less than a mile from a boat launch. I could be on the water in three minutes. I mean, I'm telling you, I could get in my car, and in 12 minutes' time, I could be parked with my feet in the sand. Yep. I was in heaven, all right? I liked where I was. And, and, and I was making, I was doing this bivocational ministry, so I worked full-time for this company. And I'm telling you, I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. I mean, I, was, I had benefits, I had retirement, I had a company vehicle. Man, I was, I, I, was, I was working my way up the chain. I was doing really well. But I'd been praying about this ministry I'd been in at this church. And, and, and I'd already begin to feel kind of a pulling away. Like I felt like this probably isn't where I need to be. Like a, like a square peg in a round hole. I just felt like this wasn't what I needed to be at. And I, st- I started counseling with a good pastor friend of mine. And this pastor friend of mine said this. He says, Andrew, I feel like God is going to be calling you away from this place and away from your family and out of your comfort zone. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think you should do it. So my circumstances and my counsel are lining up. And then there was a week I was in Tallahassee. And I was doing some service calls for a week in Tallahassee trying to catch this other branch, trying to help catch them up on some behind service calls. And, and so I was there living in a hotel for a week doing all this service calls. And, and I was driving around Tallahassee listening to preaching. And it just so happened to be one of Pastor Malcolm's messages as I'm driving around town listening to the word. 
And while I'm listening to the word, it's like God sat down in that cab next to me in that truck and he just said, go. I had a word from the word. I had peace. He said, go. I was listening to the word being preached and something really resonated in my spirit and I just felt like a, like a call from God. I said, go. That evening, I get home to my hotel. I called Tracy. Tracy was actually at a women's conference that week with her sister. I called Tracy up and I said, Tracy, how was the women's conference? She said, it was great. I said, well, do you have any clarity about the decision about going to temple? And she says, yeah, actually, I went to the altar tonight and I was praying about that. And she said, I just feel like God just said, go. You know what that is? That's peace. No red flags. And so with all those things in mind, my circumstances and my counsel, a word from the word, I had peace in my spirit. We made the decision to come to Temple Baptist Church. We've been here about eight years now. October will be eight years. I'm telling you, it's been one of the most rewarding ministries of my life. I've seen my children get saved at this church. I've grown in this church. I've, I've been in just about every ministry that they have at this church. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done Pro 127, Life Recovery, uh, I, I've TSM, Life Groups, uh, it would probably make up a couple of mission trips. I mean, I've been doing it all, and, and I've grown and learned so much through these past eight years since being here. God has really blessed. Can I tell you, God's will for my life, God's will for my life has not been vegetables. It's been filet mignon. It is so good. The will of God is the best thing for your life. Amen. You know, and I thought a lot about this. What if eight years ago I wasn't seeking and submitting to the will of God? Temple would have found somebody else. There would have been somebody else here. But man, I would have missed out. I would have missed out on so much. If I would have just settled and kept working my job, because I was making money, got good benefits, if I would have just settled for that, man, I would have missed out on so much more. And I would have been like the people in James. I go in this city, I make a profit, and meanwhile, not really contemplating that my life is a vapor, and God's will is best. And that he wants to use me in magnificent ways. Listen, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. Are you ready to submit? Are you ready to put your yes on the table? Say, God, I don't know what it looks like. But here's my yes. Your Lord, your boss. So I surrender. I raise my white flag. (laughs) I'm all in. I'm putting a blank check out there and. God, you just do with my life however you please. Because I know in the long run, what is your plan for my life is way better than what I got planned for my life. 